Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. When you hear the words tape face, what do you picture? Sam Wells began his comedy career in his native New Zealand as a teenage clown in training, complete with a diploma from a circus school in Christchurch. But after an initial foray into stand-up comedy, his friends challenged him to stop talking so much. So he became the boy with tape on his face. He received a Best Newcomer nomination in the Edinburgh Fringe in 2010, and followed that two years later with the Fringe's coveted panel prize. When he broke through in the U.S. on America's Got Talent in 2016, though, his name was shortened to simply Tapeface. Tapeface was a hit with AGT judges and NBC viewers, and he's held down a Vegas residency ever since at Harrah's Las Vegas. He took off the tape to speak with me in Times Square while he was promoting one of his mini-tours away from the Vegas Strip. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Well, my podcast is called Last Things First, so, Tape Face, Last Things First... Thank you so much for taking the tape off for this podcast. <laughs> you are more than welcome. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a very awkward interview. <laughs> well, and also, you know, there's no video, so <laughs> your, your secret is still safe. <laughs> they they just have to imagine placing your voice with the with video the image, tape, yeah. the tape face. And also, I just want to say last things first. I love the, the irony, even though it might not have been ironic at the time, that your first major award was Pulp Comedy's Best New Face. <laughs> <laughs> that was many years ago. What was that, 1990-something or, or 2000? 2000, 2001. 2001, yeah. I have, to, face. I, <laughs> I have to presume that was before the tape. It was well before the tape. So that, that was when I was doing a circus sideshow freak show act where I would do routines like hammering four-inch nails up my nose, eating broken light bulbs. And Were you a big fan of the Jim Rose? Loved Jim Rose Circus. Loved the Tokyo Shop Boys yeah. and all of those guys. And this was all before Jackass kind of thing, and I loved all of that style of comedy. Yeah. So I wanted to push myself to learn all these stunts. Was that what drew you, or was there something about clowning in general? Um, I won the, an award, the Billy T. James Award, in 2005. That's, okay. And that at the time was New Zealand's biggest comedy award, and then everyone expected me to keep doing more shows of the style that I'd been doing. So I'm the type of person that, if you tell me to do one thing, I will want to do the other, just mm-hmm. to annoy you. <laughs> so everyone told me to do more shows, so I went, I'm going to do a silent character, and they were like, you can't shut up for a minute. How are you going to do it? <laughs> and then uh, I went to a comedy club. I performed there as a silent clown. I tried okay. without the tape. And I lasted 15, 20, 30 seconds before I ruined it by talking to the front row. <laughs> uh, I, luckily enough, I came back the next night. And there was mm-hmm. a friend of mine backstage who said to me, the only way you could do a silent comedy act would be if you gaffer tape your mouth shut. And so that's where the tape came about, really. The boy with tape the on his face. The boy with tape on his face was invented there. Yeah. yeah. We, changed, we changed to tape face when we went on to AGT in 2016. Was that because NBC just couldn't handle a title that long? <laughs> or was it because you were too old to be, to be presumed anymore, as a boy? Yeah. A little salt and pepper is not another wrong with that. Come on. <laughs> 
Um, no, it was more for an international market. Okay. And we just realized that tape face. If, and everybody called me tape face anyway. But a lot of people just say, hey, tape face, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> when you first started doing that, was that still in Christchurch or was that in Auckland? Uh, street performing in Christchurch. And okay. then I developed the comedy up in Auckland, uh, the classic comedy and bar. Now, I know in that period, that was also the, the time period when um, Brett and Germain mm. and uh, Restarby and yeah. Taika were all, were you part of that crew or no, were you, they were, were they you were, looking at them going, ah, they're too mainstream, I no, have to do something they, different? they were a couple of years above me, okay. they were thinking of it like school, because I remember when Flight of the Concords got nominated for the Perrier Award in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. I saw that and just, that was the golden gem to aim for, so that's why I started going to Edinburgh to develop my show there and see if I could follow in their footsteps and win an award. <laughs> right, I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, street performing and in New Zealand, I mean, Ed- the Edinburgh Fringe, mm. that's like the mecca for street performing, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Even more 100%. than, say, Times Square. Easy, easy. <laughs> I, I think the top four would be, yeah, Edinburgh, uh, Times Square, and even Covent Garden in mm-hmm. London would be a, a top one there. Did you, uh, were you someone who, who ever worked well with others? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fairly uh, antisocial kind of person, uh, so I work out a lot of these routines in my head first mm-hmm. and then develop it from there. I guess that makes it makes more sense to like first become a solo act and then be like, I guess I'm just not going to talk. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's a fairly antisocial routine. <laughs> a lot of people should try it. <laughs> you said it was tough at first, and that's where the tape came from. How long before you became comfortable with doing a full show? I, I wrote five, a five-minute joke originally, mm-hmm. and then it turned into a 10-minute routine, 15-minute routine, 20 and 30. I think when I had about 30 minutes, I thought, people are still watching this. This is crazy. And then I thought, I wonder if they'd watch an hour of a festival show. And so I wrote another 30 minutes and put it out there as a festival show, and people loved it. People went for it, and the rest is history. How long would you say is the typical attention span for a street performer show? 45 minutes. Really? They yeah. can go 45 minutes? Yeah, that's, well, that's only the amount of time you get allotted in a street performing show. So, right, but will the, whole, will the crowd stay for the whole time, or will yeah, the yeah. mix you, of people You get a bit of flow out? in and out, but you mm-hmm. do get your families and your lockdown groups that will form an edge and stay there for the whole time. What do you remember about your first trip to Edinburgh? Oh, it was terrifying. It was great. <laughs> well, I mean, you were nominated for Best Newcomer, so... No, my first year in Edinburgh was actually just street performing. Ah, I went, there to, I went okay. there to do research. So okay. I, I did my street performing during the day, and then at night I, I saw as many comedy shows as I could. Just, and most of the time I spent my, my, my show looking up at the roof, going, what's the lighting like? What's the, <laughs> what's the room like? Deciding on what room I wanted to play. Was that the year, year before? That was the year, year before. Okay, so I that was 2009. 2009, and 2010 was the Gilded Balloon. Yeah. So you actually had a, a game plan. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a fairly strategic type of performer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that comes from the street performing background. But I just, wanted, I just wanted to do it right. I'd seen so many people who would sort of rush into these things and essentially throw away a house deposit. And it's just like, go in there properly with a plan and see if it can work. You no, know, so many people I've talked to about Edinburgh specifically, mm. I mean, I know it's changed a lot even in the last 10 years. But to, to a person, I mean, especially with the Americans... Every one of them I talked to say their first year was so rough because they thought they knew what they were getting into. (laughs) And then they're like, oh, no. And it's not just that you're performing for a month, Mm. night in, night out, but you're competing with hundreds, thousands thousands of shows. shows, When you count count all the different varieties of acts that are out there, not just the comedy shows. Mm. But um, what what did you do other than being essentially a mime? What did you do to make sure that you could stand out that, 
that first year? That first year, I think because I didn't go, because of what I'd done is I'd taken the show from New Zealand and I took it to Australia first. Mm-hmm. And so I did the um, Melbourne Fringe, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival and the Adelaide Fringe Festival. So I did both of those festivals for like a couple of years in a row. So it got to the point that producers knew who I was and I existed. And then it was easy to go, I've decided to go to Edinburgh. Who wants to produce me? And then I had my choice to go, oh, we're going to go with these people. Well, right, and you said Gilded Balloon, which is one, of the, the yeah, one of the four. big four. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then two years later, you go back and you win the panel prize. Yes. That's because my venue was too big and I wasn't allowed to win the main comedy prize. Which ruined That's it. what it was? That's what it was. <laughs> That's what really bummed me out because the Flight of the Concords were nominated for the Perrier. Mm-hmm. I, wanted, I really wanted to win the Perrier Award, mm-hmm. but uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't eligible because my venue was 750 seats. I didn't realize. Is that still a thing now? I or believe, is that? I believe that I was overselling, yeah, so I wasn't considered a newcomer or an upcoming. I didn't realize that was a... A rule. Neither did yeah. I. Neither did that I. was a loophole that you <laughs> could be too popular to be the best show. My agent had to sit me down in a bar and go, I've got some news. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to like it. <laughs> but I mean, the panel prize is The panel still... prize was fantastic. Right. I, I can't really complain because to a degree that was another step of uh, a tip of the hat. What did that do for you career-wise? Uh, it just opened more doors to, to taking the show on tour and, and that sort of thing. The more mm-hmm. we tour the show, the more it opens up different avenues. But it was still another, what, four years before you came to America for America's Got Talent? Yeah, I think I took a year off until <laughs> that. What, what, what was the calculus or what was the, the turning point where you're like, this is the time for me to try to break into America and this is the time uh, for me to specifically break through on American television? So America's Got Talent had been after me for about three or four years. Right. They were so, contacting us all the time saying, will you be on the show? We just never had the time. And then it just magically, the stars aligned. And in 2016, we had a big clear patch of no work. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, do you want to go on the TV show? It's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's figure <laughs> this out. And then, because um, the comedy scene over here, it is huge. It's a monstrous beast of a machine. Right. And so to work your way through the comedy ranks, it would have taken me years. So whereas I go on America's Got Talent, you've got that instant exposure. And then I can, uh, everyone recognizes the show. Then we can just jump a few steps ahead and get the show out there. I mean, of course, the Got Talent franchise as a whole is such a different beast because, I mean, one, it's primetime television, but also you're only doing two or three minutes. Yeah, it's amazing. But <laughs> so you have to figure out how to cram... All the comedy into two or three minutes. Right. Uh, and all that connection with an audience so they want to see right, and there's, you're, con- you're trying to connect with the live audience. You're trying to connect, probably more importantly, with the judges. Yeah. And then you're trying to figure out, well... This is also going to play on TV, so it's how does it play for them? Yeah, yeah. There's so much involved in that show of how to play it and how to present it. Was a little bit? Do you feel like it was a little bit easier for you because you do have these self-contained bits? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could just pick from the vignettes and bits and pieces. Yeah. Although there were some routines that just didn't suit being on the show, so I had to work through what I did have, mm-hmm. and then we just uh, worked, working with some of the other other people on the show, like doing, I used four guys from the show to help me out with one routine. That was great fun as well. Did you expect to make the finals? No, not at all. <laughs> After that first clip of the gloves went out and went viral, mm-hmm. I could have I gone home. <laughs> I, I was happy with that. <laughs> and then, I mean, you know, you didn't win, spoiler alert, <laughs> for, people, for people who are in a time machine. <laughs> if you missed 2016, <laughs> you missed a lot. <laughs> yeah, oh, there was a lot in 2016. <laughs> I don't know if we, we can bring you up to speed, but... <laughs> um, but even though you didn't win, you're one of those acts. There's been a handful of people who haven't won the show mm. 
but still have residencies in, in Las Vegas. Vegas. Like yeah. I've had Piff yep. on the that podcast one. Yeah, is yeah. one of them. Um, how did that come about? I think, well, that was the goal as well, was to, I wanted a show in Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. to go into America's Got Talent would, again, that boost that profile so the producers would be wanting it. And it just gave us that a little more leverage and sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, an endorsement of sorts of going, the act is good, mm-hmm. people will come and see this. Because there's such an audience for America's Got Talent. So they do come to Vegas, they do see those shows. Piff sells out his show regularly, we sell out our show regularly as well. It's, so it's, there's a market there. But was it an immediate conversation with, with them, or did other casinos come to you? We had um, a couple of people approach us first, mm-hmm. and then we started thinking seriously about it. And it's like, okay, is this an option? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this could be a thing, so let's try AGT to see if it'll lead to this. And how, how long did it take you to adjust to the Vegas lifestyle? Lifestyle. It took me about a year to work it out. I started, if you think of it like Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Wait, which version? <laughs> In five. <laughs> He's without a doubt five. GTA five is Las Vegas. <laughs> That's it, yeah. There's I mean, still clicks, there's still clubs, there's still gangs. It's, uh, you've got to do these little missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> Wait, so, so the, first, the first year was like being in a video game? It felt like a bit of a video game, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was living literally on the strip in, in an apartment there, and so there was just tourists. Wait, not in, the, not in the casino not in the resort? Casino, no, I had a little apartment like half Was that your away. choice or theirs? That was my choice. God, I wouldn't <laughs> want to live in the hotel. I would have gone nuts. <laughs> Absolutely mind-blowing. I guess also you would have really run... You know, not run the risk. You would have run into too many people who would have oh, recognized yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no downtime at that point. Which is, yeah, I'd be the weird guy walking around the, the casino in a bathrobe. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing too. Yeah, I'm sure I wouldn't be the first <laughs> with a tip jar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what was the moment where you, I guess, beat the big boss? And you leveled up from the video game. Um, I, what was I, that moment where you're like, okay, I've, I I've figured this. this out. What was that I, moment? I think it was when I, I moved into the suburbs a wee bit. And then I realized it was a job. So I could work my head around having a job, go to work, do the job, go home kind of thing and have mm. the downtime. Um, so, yeah, that was probably the big tipping point, getting off the strip. What, was there advice from people like Piff or even other, other performers on the strip that, that helped you out in that first year? Nah, they all leave you alone to fend for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very good, it's a lovely community. I was going to say, I, I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been to Las Vegas, but my no, sense was that, it's a really the, good that the headlining acts yeah. all kind of get along. Yeah, there's some really fun times that we can all get up together. Like, I think it was Carrot Top was celebrating his 16th anniversary, so we all shot a video together. So you had Blue Man Group, myself, Piff, everyone in this van being ridiculous. And it's, it's, it is a bunch of kids being silly. <laughs> That's all we are. So what was the start of the pandemic like for you then? Uh, it was tough. Yeah, I really didn't enjoy it. Effectively, we stopped working. Uh, we did, took, what, nine months of no work available at all. Weirdly, we were one of the first shows asked back, and being such an audience interactive show, we found that quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So we had to write a whole new show that had no audience interaction, a lot of puppetry and that sort of thing. And then slowly but surely, they changed the rules on us of what we can and couldn't do. Right, because I would, I would also presume that for Tate Faces Act, it doesn't translate to Zoom. 
that well. online stuff. People were asking me if I was going to do online, and it was just like, no, no, we're not doing that. Right. One of the weirdest things that happened, though, during uh, the, the changes was they made a rule where the audience had to be 25 feet away from the stage. Right. So what we did to fill that gap is that we bought 100 mannequins, <laughs> and we put them, dotted them around the audience, put jackets on them, put wigs on them. From the back, they looked so realistic. <laughs> and so it just made the audience more relaxed, more comfortable. But then because I'm an idiot, I took huge googly eyes and put them over all of the mannequins. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking out, that's all I could see was a hundred googly-eyed faces watching this weird show. So that's still better than looking out and seeing nothing. I know. I'd rather look at a mannequin than an empty chair. <laughs> right. I think so. I mean, that's psychologically got to help both you and the audience Absolutely. out. Absolutely, because they looked realistic from the back. Right. So the rest of the audience were comfortable. And we actually uh, we put in audience noises through the PA system. <laughs> so all sorts of little tips and tricks that we made it more comfortable for everyone. Mm-hmm. How long have you been now bringing it on tour? I mean, you know, we're talking in New York City where you're one night only. Yes, one night. When... When did you start? Is this the start of you t- taking it on the road, or how oh, no, long have you been doing it? We've done a couple it? of tours, I think. I've done about four or five uh, US tours. Okay. It's so tricky, though, because this country's huge. It really is. We can't get to it. Every time we announce that we're doing a tour, mm-hmm. I just get a heap of messages saying, why aren't you coming to my city? Why aren't you coming to my town? Well, you also have to negotiate that with Las Vegas if you're in a... You've got to work out everything. The right. details are tricky, yeah. Yeah. That's so a fun one. How how long do you think you'll stay in Vegas? Um, I'd like to stay there permanently. It's kind of fun. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, it's a nice spot. I like to call it home now. Yeah, home for the moment. <laughs> From Christchurch to Sin City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a leap. <laughs> Don't do it in one go. To go to some other places first and mm-hmm. then go to Vegas. <laughs> is there ever is there ever a world where you can imagine yourself doing two different acts where you're doing tape face? But then you bring back the the old version, with an idea. The, the young, the old young version. Yeah, of Sam. I've got an idea in the back of my where there was talking it. and juggling and and oddities and uh, weirdness yeah. and things. I've got an idea for a show that would involve me talking, but it was a it's a creepy magician. Uh, so it's a weird show like that. But I don't know if I'll ever do it. It's I just, mean, if Piff can do that in a <laughs> in, in a, a dinosaur, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I can work something out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Sam, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Yeah.